Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So I've been traveling all over Europe this week, visiting clients and seeing people and getting to rest on planes and so on. So I'm a little tired, but have lots of good stories. And there was one that I thought would be really relevant today. And that involves a team that has a constraint. It has a bottleneck. And the bottleneck for that team is they have too few product managers. If you go and count the number of developers and product managers, you get a ratio that's something like 1 to 10 or 1 to 12. And that's way too few in my experience. Usually I'm aiming for something like 1 to 5, 1 to 6, something on that order. And no surprise, this team reports that it's not getting as much done as it would like because, and other folks are concerned about it too in the rest of the business, because the uh, the team can't get enough through the, the pipeline. So when they want to do work, they're sometimes not ready. When they want to prioritize something, the product manager's nowhere to be seen. And not because they're not working hard, they're working flat out, but the team overall is not getting much throughput. And when I told you this story, Jeffrey, you were reminding me that it's uh, um, straight out of uh, a very nice book. That's right. Uh, that immediately came to mind uh, was uh, The Goal uh, by Goldratt, which we'll, of course, link to in the show notes. And uh, in there, uh, Goldratt introduces the theory of constraints. Uh, and he says what to do, what happens when you find that you have a bottleneck. And uh, there's a very nice sort of three-step process you go through, which is first, uh, you exploit the bottleneck. You subordinate the bottleneck, and then depending on your wording, I've heard either uh, alleviate or elevate uh, your bottleneck. And uh, it's great words, but it's not necessarily always clear what, what those things mean. So I think it'd be useful for us to go over three of constraints for our listeners and describe how, how they work in, in practice. Um, and especially this idea that there that there's a, a, a playbook that you can use uh, when you analyze your situation and figure out where your constraints are. Mm -hmm. So what do we mean by a constraint to start with? Yeah, a constraint we mean is the 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 limiting factor for uh, what you're able to produce. And one of the things I like about your story is that very often uh, people have the belief that their constraint is in development, and therefore what they should do is hire more developers. And what I like here is yep. your that's your... what these folks were doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I had to um, suggest that maybe we should stop doing that. And, and it's very counterintuitive uh, for people who um, don't understand the idea of bottlenecks because it seems on the face of it reasonable that if I'm not having enough output from my development process, then what I should do is be hiring more developers. But the theory of constraints, what it tells us is that actually that will make the problem worse rather than better. Yep. And that was certainly what they were observing. They've added a couple of developers that really don't have much for them to do. And that's causing significant difficulty and more headache for the product managers. Uh, that's right. And it probably will happen. The product managers will be have more demands on them for more developers and feel a need to be uh, uh, responding to more questions, more interruptions, making them less efficient. Uh, so instead, uh, let's go and look at the theory of constraints and the three steps and see uh, how they apply. Um, the, the first step uh, we talked about was uh, exploiting the constraint. And uh, what this means is once you've identified the where in your work stream uh, you are uh, constrained, you want to make sure that that point is never idle. Then there was, it, it, for, for whatever reason, it, it typically wants to say it doesn't run dry, that whatever is feeding in to your bottleneck, uh, that there's always um, work available 
so that people there can be working. There's a good example of that in the uh, team that I'm working with. One part of the team, not all of them, has a kind of a never-ending supply of ty- um, uh, lower priority work. They, they could be doing this work for the next five years. Uh, because it just means going essentially to different locations and implementing what they already have. Now, they don't want to do that all the time, but where their higher priority work is blocked, as it was recently, they can go and the um, executives who are working closely with them were, were really pleased with it, th- this. They can make progress on the lower priority area while they wait for the higher priority area. And, and that's a very useful way of making sure that they never starve, that the product manager and the team are never without work. And that's good. However, I would say the fact that your higher priority work would ever be blocked is uh, showing that it's not uh, that this the bottleneck isn't being used appropriately. And so the first thing you'd say is, well, why why is that being blocked? And um, and that might get us into then the uh, the second step, which is subordinate, uh, which is to, to um, uh, in subordinating. What you're saying is that uh, being efficient and maximally productive upstream of the bottleneck is useless. <laughs> doing doing more weak. It's actually and, counterproductive. It it hurts that's, you. That's right. Um, so maybe you can say a bit about you know what kind of thing would would block uh, uh, the, the bottleneck here. What was what was preventing the the high order work from coming through? Uh, well, the problem was the lack of understanding and lack of contact to partners. And others, this uh, company exists in a um, uh, complex and interrelated environment where there are lots of moving parts, all of which talk to each other. And one of the things that was blocking them was lack of understanding of some of those other moving parts and lack of contact to the partners who make those parts move. And so the solution that as we were brainstorming and and working very hard to come up with a solution for this, one of them said, well, if we had so-and-so, and and this so-and-so was was actually here, if uh, Maria was actually sitting next to me instead of over there in the the other room and working on something else, then I could ask her questions whenever I need them. And she's the expert on partner X and partner X is our problem. So the solution that we're trying with that team, uh, a different one from the first one, is to get those business experts actually sitting with the team available all the time. Their primary activity is help the developers. Right. And that's a, a great example of you're, you're now maybe those business people in a sense are um, being less efficient than they were before. Um, but Oh, absolutely. Definitely. It, it's okay for them to be inefficient because they are not the bottleneck. And if them being less efficient means the bottleneck is more efficient, then you're getting a, a real increase in throughput. Uh, the third step is the one I think is most natural for people, which is to uh, elevate the bottleneck, is we want to add capacity to the bottleneck. And I think this is also a, a, a step you'll be following. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're uh, redirecting hiring activity from developers, which, as we were saying, doesn't help as much, to product managers. So that makes a significant difference. But we're also doing more. And this goes to the idea of... Um, uh, a lower uh, lowering quality at the bottleneck um, where that makes sense. So in fact, what we're able to do in some cases is have developers or designers or other folks in the team act as product managers. They're less experienced, less knowledgeable, less able, but um, for certain types of work, they're perfectly capable. So for example, in this team, the uh, product manager is usually in charge of um, uh, grooming um, all tickets, taking everything from the backlog and figuring out what order it should happen in. And we said, uh, hey, 
developers, it might be you have to do that yourself. And then the product manager comes along later and corrects. But you, you spend the longer period of time doing that so the product manager can be uh, elevated, can be acting uh, elsewhere in a more um, uh, more successful capacity. You're such a great example here from from this week. I thought it was useful for us to to go through it because I think in each cases, uh, uh, what we're describing are things uh, actions that people have probably heard about, um, but maybe they, if they're not familiar with the theory of constraints, then you don't understand how these uh, pieces relate to the idea of things that you do at the constraint. That you, you know, the the key enabling piece here is you've identified the bottleneck um, because it's easy to. Um, apply the pattern of, of these solutions, but in the wrong place. So as an example, we talked about the first one, exploiting, making sure it never runs dry. When I hear people describe that, they're usually most concerned about the developers. We have to make sure that the, the developers always have something to work on. But if they're not the constraint, then that's... Yeah, exactly. That's, and they very rarely are, then that's not going to help you more. It just actually makes your team slower. <laughs> that's right. And I think that's something that's very uh, counterintuitive people because their naive assumption is that, you know, if it's if the, if the problem is output development, well, then that must be where the constraint is. So um, the the effort that goes into backlog grooming that's often done by product managers with the idea of making sure the developers are never idle, um, if you uh, analyze it more deeply, you'd say, well, what, what work do we need to get to do that backlog grooming for the developers? You'll find that there's... Uh, upstream backlogs, maybe in design, uh, maybe with the product, maybe even further upstream uh, in in the business, in the executive side, where there's decisions that are pending on on them uh, outside of the development team entirely. That's uh, actually uh, what the, where the bottleneck is. And, um, and correctly identifying it, make sure that you're, you're not trying to uh, uh, spend time exploiting a constraint that is not actually a constraint. There you go. Okay. Well, I hope listeners are able to uh, apply this uh, theory of constraints process. Uh, I was uh, very pleased that the, the example fits so nicely into the, the model. They don't always fit that way. But if you've got some challenges with bottlenecks and constraints and you're trying some of these or you're stuck or you think that they're not applicable to you, those would be things we'd sure like to talk to you about. So do get in touch. You can find us at conversationaltransformation.com. And there's email and Twitter and all kinds of other good stuff. We've still got the other website, but uh, we've really revised Conversational Transformation. So go have a look there. Uh, for example, there's a uh, opportunity to pre-order our book, and there's an opportunity to sign up to a mailing list where you can get more material from us. And as a thank you, if you sign up to the mailing list, we've just recorded a video on a topic um, from the book, a topic called Coherence Busting. So another step-by-step. Uh, description of uh, uh, tools you can use immediately to troubleshoot problems in your team. And of course, we also like it when people hit the subscribe button and come back to us every week. We're here every Wednesday and we have been for two years. We intend to continue for uh, the foreseeable future. So uh, come back and, and see us next week when we'll have more troubleshooting agile. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Grant.